And oftentimes, God does not want us to just ask once. He doesn't want us to just knock once, to seek for a short amount of time. He wants us to keep going until He has answered, until He has provided the sufficient answer. When we look around us, when we look at all the things that we have access to, look at all the inventions that we have available to us, we understand that everything that we own makes life so much easier for us. The cars we drive. I mean, I'd rather drive in a car than ride on a horseback for kilometers every day. The phones that we use, the gadgets that we use. I mean, we can't even do without our phone for a day because of how much we rely on it. And it, all of these gadgets, all of these inventions makes our lives so much easier. And we are so grateful for them. Now all of these inventions and all of these gadgets that we are using today are all thanks to, obviously, ambitious inventors. People who saw a need, they took that need, and they sought to create their own solution to that need. If there's a big enough need and you provide a viable enough solution, you'll probably enjoy a lifetime of wealth. You see that with Elon Musk, with Jeff Bezos, those guys. Hence, there's a lot of people who are interested in becoming an inventor, inventing the next greatest thing. They want to be rich, and they want to create a new service or a new product that will take the world by storm. But there's a hurdle that all inventors face. Failed prototypes. Often, on the store shelves, we see the finished product. The inventors don't tell us how many failed stereotypes they've made. But every inventor has to jump through the hurdle of failed prototypes. Oftentimes, you have to create dozens and dozens and dozens of failures before they get the final product. But sometimes the stress is a bit too much for some inventors. Attempt after attempt, try after try, and they still can't get a finished product, and so they give up. Not finding a solution, not finding a way to solve their problem, they give up easily. The unfortunate thing is, sometimes an inventor does create a viable product, but the general public doesn't buy it. The general uh, public doesn't buy his product, and it's a failure a commercial failure. Another reason why inventors tend to give up before they become successful. Now Thomas Edison was probably one of history's most prolific inventors. You know, in high school, he was told by his teachers that he was too stupid to learn anything. Thomas Edison. But by the end of his life, he had made more than 1,000 patents, such as the phonograph, the alkaline battery, and the motion picture camera. But what do we know Thomas, Thomas Edison most known for? It, it is the light bulb. The light bulb. Now, Thomas Edison didn't necessarily invent the light bulb. It was already present at the time. But he redesigned it. He made a more viable solution to the light bulb problem. But like all inventors, Thomas Edison failed many times in creating that new light bulb. In fact, 
he had 1,000 unsuccessful attempts in his mission to redesign the light bulb. 1,000 attempts. And Thomas Edison didn't give up. He kept persisting until he had the finished product in his hands. And he went on to be known for his invention. He wanted something. He wanted that new solution, a new product, and he didn't stop until that goal was obtained. James Dyson, you may know his last name, creator of vacuums. One day he was using another company's vacuum and he found that they were just not effective. They were not up to his standard of excellence. So he went on to try and create a better vacuum. And now we know his name, Dyson, and we, that's one of the most, the key brands when you're buying a vacuum. But before he invented the process that took the world by storm, he had 5,127 failed prototypes, and he almost went bankrupt in the process. He had to spend his money, and he had to spend his wife's money. But eventually, none of them gave up on each other. They kept going, and he had the Dyson formula. And now he is enjoying a lifetime of wealth. Many of us, we, we fail once. We seek out to do something. We fail once, and that failure prohibits us from trying even a second time. We give up. Edison, Dyson, these two men failed thousands of times. But neither of them gave up. And now we know both of their names. They persisted. They didn't give up. They had a goal. They didn't know how to get to the goal exactly. But once they set their goal, they accomplished to obtain and to not stop until they had accomplished their specific goal in mind. One of humanity's greatest weakness is in the area of, of persisting. To persist, to be persistent means to persevere, to continue on in the face of opposition, to continue on in the face of failure. That is what it means to be persistent, to keep going and trying again and again. But humanity's greatest weakness is sometimes we quickly give up. And it's maybe because we live in an age of immediacy. We live in an age of instant gratification. When we want something, we go out and get it. When we want to watch a certain video, we pop on YouTube, search it up, watch it. When we, want, when we have a desire, we can immediately act upon that desire and get it. We live in a world of instant gratification. We get what we want immediately when we want it. And this has bred a culture within people to give up quick. Because when we don't get what we want, when we want it, we just drop the whole thing. We give up. We go on and do something else. Some of us are willing to wait and be persistent, but when opposition comes, that's when we give up. You know, there are two specific areas that I want us to study today in the Christian life where it is not God's will for us to give up. His will for us is to persist and keep trying. 
And I believe that all of us here need a reminder in this area of persistence and to learn to put persistency into practice. Let's open in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I pray that you just be with me as I deliver your word, deliver the, this important message that you've laid on my heart. I pray again that you uh, fill me with your spirit, fill me with your power, help me preach your message and not mine, and pray even as I preach to filter out things that don't, that don't need to be said. And I pray, Lord, that you would just speak to the hearts of the congregation, to those listening online even. And I just pray that I, your, your name would be glorified through, uh, through me and through the message you've placed in my heart. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Now let's go back to the scripture text that Brother Howard led in earlier, Luke 11. Luke 11. And Luke 11, 5 to 8, you don't have to read it out loud, but I'll read it quickly. It says, And he said unto them, Which of you shall have a friend? And shall go unto him at midnight, and say unto him, Friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine in his journey is come to me, and I have nothing to set before him. And he from within shall answer and say, Trouble me not. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give thee. I say unto you, though he will not rise and give him because he is his friend, yet because of his importunity, he will rise and give him as many as he needed. Now in the context of this passage, the disciples, one of the disciples had just asked Jesus, Lord, teach us how to pray. Lord, teach us how to pray. And so Jesus answers them. The first thing he gives to the disciple that asked is a model prayer. But right after he gives the model prayer, he tells them this parable of this friend asking for three loaves in the middle of the night. This friend wanted, for some reason, three loaves of bread. He had a friend come in from a long journey, and he had nothing to feed him, and he needed three loaves of bread. And it's the middle of the night. No shops were open. He couldn't just buy bread from the bakery. He had no bread available. So the next best option is to visit one of his close friends in the middle of the night. The friend that he visited was already sleeping. In fact, all of his family were already sleeping. But he had something that he wanted to obtain in his mind. He wanted three loaves of bread. And he wasn't letting this guy's sleep stop him. Maybe in normal circumstances, this would have been a normal request. You know, if Pastor Devian, he came up to me at 3 p.m. in the middle of the day, and he went to my house and he asked me for a cup of sugar, you know what, I'll just give him the cup of sugar. No biggie. But if Pastor Devian came to my house at 3 a.m., and I open my eyes and I see him standing outside my window, now there's a different problem. I might have to call 911, even though I know the guy. It was the middle of the night. Late at night, this was not a normal time to be asking for bread or for food or for favors. And on top of that, this man had a family. His children were sleeping. Pastor Tim, when the, the children are put asleep, do you, want them, do, you want to be, do you want them to be woken up? No, you probably hate those who wake them up, right? So the, this guy's family was already sound asleep, children sleeping. He's not going to rise and wake up his children just to give this guy three loaves of bread. But this guy, his friend asking, I don't think he understood the idea of rejection. I don't think he understood the word no. Because he kept asking afterwards. 
the friend, the homeowner's immediate reply was to turn him away. He said in the verse 7, I think, Trouble me not. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give thee. But again, that probably just went in one ear and out the other for this asking friend. The scripture implies that he kept persisting. He kept asking for three loaves of bread. I don't know how long this back and forth went, but he just kept going. And realizing, the homeowner realizing that his friend would not leave him after being denied until he gets what he wants, the homeowner finally gives in, concedes to the request, and sends him off with three loaves of bread. Mission success. I doubt they were friends after that. But anyways, he got the three loaves of bread. He now has food to share to the, his friend on a journey. But the persistency of this friend who wanted three loaves of bread is actually revealed in that word in verse 8, importunity. The first time I heard the message on that, on that word itself was actually from Brother Glenn. I don't know where he is, but the first message I heard on this topic of importunity was from Glenn. And then, then afterwards, I kept hearing messages on importunity. And it was always so fascinating, this word. And to give a simple definition of it, importunity is just persistency and urgent, urgency in asking. Those are the two elements of importunity, to be persistent and to ask urgently. There's an emergency that needs to be, that, that there's an emergency, I need it right away, I need it immediately. Those are the two main elements of importunity is persistency, asking again and again, and urgency. This friend, even after being denied, he kept asking. He didn't give up. Why did he keep persisting? Why did he keep insisting that his friend give him three loaves of bread? Because he had an urgent need. He needed those three loaves of bread. They weren't for him. They were for his friend on a journey. Now there's another secondary lesson that we can learn from this parable. Intercessory prayer, praying on the behalf of another person. But that wasn't Jesus' main point in this parable. His main point was the friend's importunity, the friend's persistence in asking for what he wanted and that he wouldn't leave until he got what he wanted. And it was only because of his importunity, it was only because of that attribute that his friend finally conceded to the request. If he had tried just once and left immediately after being denied once, he wouldn't have those three loaves of bread. Now, it is hard to ignore a persistent request, a nagging request. Now, I have a dog. I love my dog. I'm not the best at saying no to him. Sometimes I'm eating food that he's clearly not allowed to have, pizza, ice cream, whatever. And I know I'm not supposed to give it to him. That's the reason why he's 80 pounds and when he's supposed to be 60. But it's hard to say no to a, dog's, to a dog in, in period. He's just looking at you with those eyes. He's drooling from the mouth. Sometimes he nudges my arm away and then he puts his, his head in between my knees and my elbow, just looking at me intently, wanting a piece of pizza, and I just give him the whole thing. It's hard to say no when they don't go away after you say no to them once. If they keep persisting, it's very hard to say no to a person or to even an animal. In Luke 18, we see the power of persistency yet again. Turn with me in Luke 18. We're not going to read the, the whole entire story. 
But in Luke 18, we see a widow. In verse 2, it says, there was, a there was in a city a judge which feared not God, neither regarded man. And there was a widow in that city, and she came unto him, saying, Avenge me of mine adversary. And he would not for a while. But afterward, he said within himself, Though I fear not God, nor regard man, yet because this widow troubleth me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. In that parable, we see a widow who needed vengeance on something for an adversary. And he kept going to this unjust judge, and because he was unjust, he could care less about the, what was happening with the people. He could care less. He just wanted probably the authority. But because this widow kept asking day in, day out for, for justice to be served, for vengeance, this unjust judge who, was, who didn't want to do anything was finally moved to action. That judge that didn't want anything to do with man, finally gave the widow what she was wanting because she kept persisting that the judge would do something. Both of these parables were used to teach us a lesson on how to pray. Under Luke 18, it says that men ought always to pray not to faint. This is in line with prayer, this topic of persistence. The first of my two points is persistence in prayer. Immediately after telling the story, after telling the parable of the importune friend, Jesus says in verse uh, 9, look with me there, Luke eleven nine 9, it says, And I say unto you, Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. The thing is, folks, the prayer requires action on our part. Sometimes we say that we are praying for something, but what that, in, what that truly entails is that in the back of our minds, we're hoping and crossing our fingers that this certain thing would come to pass. That's a very passive type of prayer. But the thing in verse 9, those are ask. Seeking, knocking, those are all active actions. You have to put in the effort. We are not to wait idly, but we must ask, seek, knock, and only then shall it be given to us. Only then will we find the answer that we were seeking, and only then will doors be opened unto us. It requires prayer on our parts. And oftentimes, God does not want us to just ask once. He doesn't want us to just knock once, to seek for a short amount of time. He wants us to keep going until He has answered, until He has provided the sufficient answer. As I've said, we have a tendency to give up when we don't get what we are praying for right away. Another reason why we give up quickly is because many times we view our prayer request as unimportant. Think on your life. When you were a kid or a teenager or whenever it was, remember, remember a time when you really, really wanted something? You really, really wanted whatever it was. For me, I've always, ever since we moved to Canada, I kept telling my, my parents to get a dog. And it was only until I was 20 years old that they, they bought me a dog. So it was a long time. I kept persisting, right? <laughs> but for some of you, you may have been, you maybe asked your parents for a new car. Maybe for a new video game console for some of the teenagers here. Maybe for a, a special piece of clothing 
for sneakers. Do you remember how persistently you asked your parents for that one item? How you never failed to mention it in every conversation. Whatever the conversation topic was, you were able to turn it into what you were wanting and desiring. Kids have a special talent in misdirection. You keep asking and asking and asking and asking. You sounded like a broken record by the, how often you asked. It probably drove your parents insane by how often you asked for that special item. But maybe some of the parents here can attest that at times it was their child's persistence that caused them to eventually give them what they were desiring. Sometimes the parents, they see the passion their child has for that specific item and they see that that item is not necessarily evil or wicked and it's not necessarily detrimental for the growth, so they give it to them. They give it to them because of their love for their child. They see that they were so passionate for this and sometimes they ask uh, politely and they give in to the request of the persistent child. If earthly parents can grant the request of a persistent pleading child, then why do we not expect the same with our Heavenly Father? What are some areas where it would be wise for us to have importune prayers? To, be, to have this attitude of importunity. Here's three. Number one. I put it at number one because it's something that's very near and dear to my heart. Is the revival or the salvation of a friend or a relative. Sometimes you have a relative. They've, you've, they know that you're saved. You've shared the gospel to them time and time again. But they just refuse to accept the gospel. And you've now labeled them as a lost cause. Or maybe you have a backslidden friend. You grew up with this guy. You guys went to church together. But somewhere along the way, he fell away. Our duty is not to judge those people who fell away. But our duty is to keep praying for them. It doesn't matter if you've given up on them. doesn't matter if you can't see that there's a logical way for them to ever go back into church. Keep praying for that revival or for the salvation of that one individual in your life that you just can't forget about. Keep praying for his salvation. Keep praying for the revival, for them to come back to church. Number two, keep praying for God's will. Oftentimes you rush this. We, we, it takes so long for God to reveal his will for our life that we just make a rash decision and just go on our own way and find and the, the, the uh, solution ourselves. Find and pray earnestly for God's will regarding your career, regarding your schooling, regarding who you are to marry and other major life decisions. Don't rush those things. They need you need time to, to just pray earnestly to God, to persistently ask Him, Lord, what do you want me to do? Don't be impatient with God. He'll reveal it in the right time. And lastly, third thing that we can pray for is God's provision. Maybe you're asking for a very specific need. Maybe you have a health issue that has been nagging you for years and years and years and has never fled from you. Keep asking God to provide remedy for your physical health. The point is, whatever important requests that we may have, and we are a room filled with 160 people, 150 people, we all have important requests that only we are praying for. And so if you stop praying for that one thing, who's going to pray for that? If you stop praying for that one individual that only you know in this church, who's going to pray for that individual to be saved? Who's going to pray for that individual to be revived? Keep praying. 
We have to go to God boldly, believing that He will answer us. And at times, He will say no. At times, He will reject a request. Other times, He will immediately answer our, our prayers. Other times, He will take years to answer our prayers. He will stay silent, waiting to see how we would react. Now, someone who is persistent in prayer has three great attributes to them. They have faith because they believe that God will hear and answer their prayers. They are dependent on God because they keep going only to Him to, to answer their prayers. And three, humility. Someone who prays again persistently for something is humble. You might be asking, how is humility and importunity connected and interrelated? Well, importunity, the word itself, carries the idea of shameless begging. We see in the story that there was a guy who woke up in the middle of the night because he had nothing to his name. He had to humble himself, go out of his house, and beg his friend for just three loaves of bread. Three loaves of bread. How poor was this man that he didn't have three loaves of bread, but he set aside his, humili- he set aside his ego and his pride, and he went and begged for food. It must have been embarrassing to ask for food. But similarly, we need that same almost shameless begging when we pray. Because, you know, sometimes the greatest prayer is when the prayer warrior themselves realizes that he is nothing without God. And until people realize that they are nothing without God, a lot of prayers will be in vain, I believe. We need to humble ourselves. When we think of ourselves as something, God can't be everything in our lives. We need to humble ourselves and make ourselves nothing. To openly show that we need him. One of the greatest prayer warriors in, in Christian history was a man named George Mueller. He is mostly known for the great orphanages he started in Bristol, England. But that great work that he had in that country, and the reason why we know him so well, that all Christians know of him, that work could only have been accomplished by a prayer warrior. He built a lot of orphanages while running a church, while pastoring, while having to take care of the day-by-day needs of the orphanage, having to look for the food himself. And he was able to do all of that for years upon years until his death. And all of that work could have only been accomplished by a prayer warrior. George Mueller had a habit of, he had a prayer book that he always carried around with him. On one side, he would write the prayer request that he, was, that, that he found out about. He would put the prayer request. And if God does answer that prayer request, he puts the answer right beside it. This allowed him to see what prayers have not been answered by God yet. And if there was no answer to a prayer on his journal, believe that he's going to keep praying for it. George Mueller would keep praying for unanswered prayer requests. One particular prayer request took him 50 years. The request was only answered 50 years later after he had started praying for it. In his book, in his journal, it said, In November 1844, I began to pray for the conversion of five individuals. I prayed every day without single intermission, whether sick or in health or on the land or on the sea, and whatever the pressure of my engagements might be. So no matter how busy George Mueller got, he started praying for these five individuals. Eighteen months elapsed, or a year and a half, before the first of the five was converted. I thanked God and prayed on for the others. Five years elapsed, and then the second one was converted. I thanked God for the second and prayed on for the other three. 
Day by day, I continued to pray for them. And six years passed before the third of the five was converted. I thanked God for the three and went on praying for the other two. These two remain unconverted. The man to whom God in the riches of his grace has given tens of thousands of answers to prayer in the selfsame hour or day in which they were offered has been praying day by day for nearly 36 years for the conversion of these two individuals. And yet they remain unconverted. But listen to his last sentence. But I hope in God. I pray on and look yet for the answer. They are not converted yet, but they will be. The faith that George Mueller had. 36 years he had been praying for these two individuals and there was still no sign of them being saved, but he believed that they will eventually be. The two men, in fact, that he was praying for remained unsaved when he died in 1897. So when he died, he never got to see, he never had the joy of seeing these two folks saved. At the time of his death, he had been praying for their salvation for 52 straight years, never forgetting about their eternal destiny for one day. So was God just not listening to George Mueller? Was God just ignoring George Mueller's request all of those 52 years? No. Because God was listening to all of those pleas. And well after he died, years after George Mueller died, those two individuals were led to Christ. More than 50 years has been spent praying for the salvation of these two individuals, but because George Mueller was so persistent, he was so importune in his prayer, he never gave up on these two individuals, and I believe that God blessed his efforts. Folks, that is what is meant by praying urgently, by praying consistently. Before he had prayed for 18 months, he had already been praying for a year and a half before he saw any answer to his prayer. That was when the first person got saved, was a year and a half after he was praying. But he learned to wait on God. He learned to be patient and to persist in prayer. His attitude towards prayer was similar to Jacob in Genesis 32. Let's turn there. Genesis 32. In Genesis 32, 26, it says, when um, Jacob was wrestling with God, I will not let thee go except thou bless me. I will not let thee go except thou bless me. The way George Mueller prayed was very similar to that statement that Jacob made in Genesis 32, 26. I will not let thee go except thou bless me. But in, the, in George Mueller's case, he will not let prayer requests go until they were answered by God. He would not dismiss them as unimportant. He kept praying for them until God provided an answer. All of us have important prayer requests that we carry. Every single one of us has a, has a relative or a, or a friend that has fallen off, has backslidden, that we are praying for. Some of us are praying for our own health. We have health issues that have never departed once in our life, and they have persisted, and they have been a physical infirmity for years. Don't give up praying for it. There are pastors in this country who are still praying, and myself included, are praying for a national revival. I know of some that have said that national revival is impossible in this day and age, but don't give up. The pastors that keep on praying for national revival, I applaud them. I join them. 
Because we shouldn't never give up on important prayer requests because God has the power and will and desire to answer our persistent prayers. If we are not persistent like George Mueller or Jacob in our prayers, there's a chance that we may never see our most, our, our deepest prayer request answered in our lifetime. Just because you're tired of not seeing any progress, don't give up. Keep praying. You may be saying, but Brother Ivan, it's impossible for this person to get saved. It doesn't matter. Keep praying and trust God. But they haven't been to church in years. How will they come back to him? George Mueller kept praying about two individuals who didn't go to church for 52 years. God is powerful enough to bring them back to his fold. Don't give up on whatever prayer, important prayer request that God has laid on your heart. As 1 Thessalonians 5.17 says, we must pray without ceasing. Don't stop praying. Persistently urge God to answer your request. If that request is truly important to you, then it's worth praying for every single day. God is testing you right now to see how much faith you have in Him. If you give up all too early, how much did you really trust God to deliver? How dependent were you on Him at the end of the day? He's testing us, but will we fail or pass His testing? And just a quick second point, and then we're done. Galatians 6, 9. Turn with me there. This is the last passage we'll be turning to. Galatians 6, 9, and this is a much quicker point. I think the focus of this message was the being importune in our prayers and being persistent in our prayer life and how we ask God. But in Galatians 6, 9, a very well-known verse says, And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. My second and final point is persistency in well-doing. Many times it's, it's very tiring to always do the right thing day in and day out. We see this with employees. When an employee gets hired and they're new and fresh in the company, they will do everything they can to, to stand out, to be excellent. They want to impress their coworkers. They want to impress their bosses. And they want to uh, establish themselves in the company. So they do everything. They don't cut corners. They pursue excellence in every single area. But as time goes on, as that employee gets settled into the company, you see him begin to slack off. His effort begins to regress. He starts cutting corners here and there, and he starts feeling that pursuing excellence is not worth the time and energy. So he starts slacking off. He starts pursuing this mediocre work life. Similarly, as Christians, we tend to be, or a lot of people tend to be most on fire for God shortly after their conversion. They get saved, and after they get saved, they want to tell others about God. They want to tell others about Jesus Christ and how, what He has done in their life. They want to serve God in whatever way that God would want them to serve, and they are on fire for God. But somewhere along the way, after that honeymoon stage is over, these spiritual fires begin to wane. They die down. They start wondering, is this work that I'm doing, is this worship that I'm giving to God, is this really worth the energy? Is this really worth the time investment that I'm putting into it? But this verse gives a promise. If we don't faint, or in this case give up, and choose to persistently walk, and do, be, be persistent in our well-doing, we shall be rewarded. In this life, 
or maybe in eternity. We know that companionship is very important in, in a journey. Now, myself, I would never go on an hour's hike by myself. I, I don't see a, a situation where I, where I would go on a hike by myself. There's no point for me personally. But with a good company, no matter how arduous the task, the, the hike may be, or however long hours it may take to get to the top, if I have a good company of friends coming with me, it makes the journey more worthwhile. And that's the same with the Christian walk. There's great joy to be found in a company of friends, but you may find that at times, when you look to your left and to your right, that there is no one walking beside you, that you have no company, that there are no Christians walking forward with you. We don't really struggle with that because in the church there's a lot of great Christians in Grace Baptist Church. But you may move to a different country, you may move to a different location, and you look to your left and to your right, and there is nobody there with you. Just because there is no company doesn't mean that you give up and stop either. Maybe you grew up with people who were walking closely beside you to, with, uh, on their path to get to know Christ, but those people around you, they fall off and they turn the other way. Don't look to them and turn away also and give up also. Keep going until you reach the end of your journey. Be persistent in well-doing. Keep sharing the gospel. Even when no one else in your friend group is, is bold enough to do so, keep sharing the gospel. If everybody in the world gets embarrassed to share the gospel, keep sharing the gospel yourself. Even if your friends that invited you to church stopped coming, keep attending the service regardless. Keep serving God even if you're the only one rolling up their sleeves to help. Keep having an upstanding Christian character even when everyone around you grows more worldly and grows more corrupt. Because if you keep on this righteous path, if you keep on well-doing, you will reap a bountiful reward. Sometimes it's not necessarily our mindset that is at fault, but just natural fatigue. Burnout is a very real thing in career, in just general, not just outside of Christendom. Burnout is a very real thing in careers. They expend too much of their energy, and they're left kind of like a shell of themselves. They have no energy left for things. And that's very normal, because we're just humans at the end of the day. We're not all powerful superheroes. We're very weak, in fact. But when it is your physical condition that is stopping you from well-doing, you have to learn to step away for a while and recharge. To spend some time to physically rest if you are truly burnt out, and to spend some time alone with God. And we see this with Jesus Christ. Day in and day out, crowds of hundreds and thousands would follow Jesus everywhere he, went, everywhere he would go. But you know, Jesus, he would wake up early just so that they wouldn't be awake yet. He would sometimes slip out, from the, out of the crowd to spend some time with God alone. And if Jesus needed to spend some time alone with God to recharge, to rest, I think that is more applicable to us, who are much weaker, much fragile, much more fragile, and much frail compared to Jesus. If you are physically burnt out, and that is what's stopping you from well-doing, then rest and spiritually recharge. The key to not be weary and to be persistent in well-doing is to keep our eyes on Jesus Christ. And I end with this, my, one of the, my favorite verses in Hebrews 12. It is, let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto who? Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. So let us be persistent in our prayer and let us be persistent in our well-doing. Let's close our eyes for a little prayer.
Thank you for watching the message today. We invite you to join us again every Sunday and Wednesday for more inspiring messages from God's Word.